Yeah, we're awake now. Hey, listen, today you're stuck again with me, but next week, something really exciting is coming. We're going to be moving in a pretty different direction, something a little more topical, uh, kind of dealing with some of the stuff that's going on in the world. I know Dennis is, Dennis is going to be preaching them, and I know that we're all kind of excited. So next week, uh, I, hope, I hope you guys are ready because we're going to do, be doing something, something exciting. But today, again, you're stuck with me. Sorry. Has it been, who's had a crazy week? Anybody? Crazy weeks? Yeah, dude. So like, thank you. There's some people with two hands. Me too. So uh, school schedules are changing. Uh, the life is, the world is still kind of in turmoil. In my world, my world's been really crazy. So like, uh, you know, we've got a, a 10-year-old in the house, first of all. Uh, middle daughter, senior year, pictures, all that stuff going on. Oldest daughter bought a house. How crazy is that? Oldest daughter bought a house, getting married, moving out. So in my world, I mean, it's crazy. Everywhere's crazy. Every time I turn around, it's crazy. When my daughter moved out, she took her dog with her. So one less crazy. I was pretty excited about that. And then they started the whining. You know what the whining was, right? We need a new dog, right? No, we don't need a new dog. But dad, we need a new dog, right? No, we don't need it. Dad, we've got to have a new dog. No, we're not getting a new dog. This is Dansby. <laughs> Dansby is a Samoyed lab mix. Apparently he's really smart. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, he is a cute little thing. Uh, the older dog and he fight most of the time. Uh, we have cats too. They love him. Let me tell you. No, it's been, but it's been a crazy, crazy time for all of us. And then today, we're going to kind of continue some of that. So the last couple of weeks, remember the last couple of weeks, we had two weeks ago, the, remember that, the NC-17 sermon? God's like, destroy Sodom. I like to say, hey, Abraham's like, come on, we got to find a few righteous people. God couldn't destroy Sodom last week. Last week, we destroy Sodom. It gets even crazier today, a little PG-13, but not near as bad as last week. There was Lot's wife, remember that? Edith, we don't actually know from Scripture. Her name was Edith, Jewish tradition, said that Lot's wife turned her to a pillar of salt. And this week, we see some pretty crazy stuff as well. So I'm going to go in a lot of directions. But if you would keep this at heart, look at this. Spiritual growth depends a lot on how we handle the test and the trials that come our way. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, Lord, I love you. I praise you for today and, and all that goes with it, Lord. In this place, Lord, it's, it's just humbling to know that your presence is alive and to see the excitement on the faces of everyone that's here. And I know that's true for the people at home, Lord, that you are with us, Lord. So I pray that you wrap your arms around us and help us to focus on what you would have us learn. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. If you've got a Bible, open with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, we see another one of these events in Scripture that, that is a little bit later, but it kind of goes hand in hand with some of the stuff that we've been talking about. And this is a story that maybe you've probably heard before, Abraham and a situation with his son Isaac. So in Genesis 22, starting in verse 1, we see a lot of things, but the first thing we see is we see a command from God. Listen to this. Sometime later... God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, listen to this, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there 
as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Whoa, did you guys catch that? That's kind of crazy. As soon as I started like really digging into this, because I am obviously the least mature person on staff, the first place I went to is a valued book for resources. Can you see this book here? The Monster at the End of This Book by Sesame Street. Anybody read this book? Yes, yeah, one of the greatest books of all time. If you haven't, The Monster at the End of This Book. When you look at the cover of this book, you get this feeling, well, that's kind of crazy, but listen to what Grover says. Look at the first page. The very first page, it, listen to what, it says, what did you say? There's a monster at the end of this book? And that's where we are. See, we read this passage of scripture and we kind of blow over some really, really important things because we get trapped in this, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. And that is crazy. You know, over the last few weeks, I, I have a lot of discussions. One of the things I love the most is when we know well in advance a, a subject that we're going to preach, just talking about it. Just talking about it with church members, talking about it with friends. And most, for the most part, Church members, people who know, the, know Scripture, know the story, whenever I bring up this topic, the, the, the attitude is, is usually kind of the same. It's kind of a, you know, I get it, that's a, that's a neat uh, event that happened in the Scripture, but we don't put a lot of thought into it. But the truth is, when we dig into this, there's some really fascinating things. Now, obviously, I too, I have a lot of difficulties with this, with this passage of scripture. Uh, the first difficulties is very, very simple. Where in the world did this come from? Why in the world would, would God even think of doing this? But before we do that, we see a transition here. The ultimate kind of where did that come from transition with maybe the most powerful word in this whole passage. Look at verse two, this is fascinating. Then God said, we probably forgot about this part, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac. Did you catch that? Take your son, your only son who you love. Did you guys catch that word love? If we look at scripture, if we look at the Bible, the whole, the whole Bible, isn't the, if we could put it in one word, isn't it love? The whole objective of scripture is love. And did you know that this word is the very, or this passage is the very first time that the word love is used in all of the Bible? Think about that. The very first time scripture introduces love, it is in the context of your son, your one and only son, this passage takes this powerful objective of Scripture and propels it in the most profound way. Think about that. I get that. I've got a son. I've got two daughters, two older daughters, and a son. And please understand that in this passage and in this illustration, it doesn't imply for a second that the son is greater. Calm down. The son is not more important. But this is a pretty powerful illustration. I remember after having two daughters, I wish I had the ultrasound picture, but I don't. I remember being in the doctor's office, sitting there, uh, they, they put the little thing on her belly, you know, and it makes the funny noise, and that's kind of like the sound right there. And, um, and it's like, it's a boy. I remember that excitement, that, I don't know, uh, that cheer, if you will. I get that. But in this case, 
He's not only asked to sacrifice, this is a burnt offering. Do you understand the magnitude behind that? This is God saying, hey, Abraham, listen, I not only want you to give your one and only son to me, I want you to eviscerate him. Do you understand that? When we look through scripture, we find a lot of different kinds of offerings. There are sin offerings, there are guilt offerings, there are grain offerings, there are fellowship offerings. But in this situation, we're talking about a burnt offering. We're talking about taking something that's incredibly valuable. And in this case, we're talking about food. Most offerings would have a connotation of some sort with food. Why? Ever thought about the Middle East? You know why people are so grumpy in the Middle East? Ever thought about it? There's not much water. And there's very little to eat. So to sacrifice something that you eat is a big deal. So in this situation, a burnt, offer, a burnt offering, whether it be food or animals or even children, yeah. Now our God, Yahweh, does not ask for children sacrifices, but that would have happened in this time. There, would, there are dozens of examples in scriptures, primarily Canaanites, through Baal, through, uh, through Malak, uh, putting through the fire of Malak. We see examples of that. So for Abraham to think of a child sacrifice, that would not be completely foreign. That concept wouldn't be completely foreign to him. So to have a burnt offering means to take this something valuable, put it in a fire, and make it completely go away. To, to completely eviscerate, destroy this amazing, important thing. So what does that take? It takes obedience. Look at point two. In Genesis uh, 22, verse three, Abraham's obedience. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there. We will worship, and we will come back to you. In verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offerings and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to the father, uh, to the father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Yeah, so did you catch that? It went from crazy to absolutely positively crazy. Which brings us to a second difficulty that we all understand. How in the world could this thing happen? Now my wife, we talk about this a lot. My wife uh, spends a lot of time with our students as well. And something that she does a really good job of conveying to primarily the females, but, but, but the guys as, as well, is the value of the, the, I don't know, pecking order, for lack of a better term. And she will teach this concept all the time. She's like, God is first, my husband is second, my children are third. We all know that is complete manure, but that is what my wife teaches everybody. In the real world, it's God is first, 
My children are second. My mother, my sister, my job, my the dogs, definitely the new dog. Actually, we need to move him up a little bit. And then the husband. I say that jokingly, but isn't that what God asked us? Isn't that how he wants us to live? And that's perfectly fair. But see, infant sacrifice, as we see, practicing by the, by the Canaanites, is a thing. And we know that God loves rams and loves grain. And he sees the value of showing that, uh, that, that, uh, that sacrifice, that obedience. Is Isaac the fruit of many nations? You know, Abraham is probably confused. He's probably wondering at this point. He's probably having difficulty. Now, I don't know about you guys. I remember as a child hearing this story. I've discussed a lot, debated a lot. I don't know if I've heard many sermons on this topic. I can think of one time, uh, a very long time ago. Um, But mostly it comes from children's stories. And it's usually a simple story that's short and it has has a happy ending and we kind of move on in life. And usually there are pictures. And there's always a picture of like this 8 or 10 year old kid holding a, a bundle of sticks, right, for his dad. And that couldn't be further from the truth because I don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but he wasn't this 8 or 10 year old little kid, right? In chapter 21, scripture refers to Isaac as a lad, probably a preteen. And we know from scripture that this event is sometime later, probably a few years later. So there's all this debate as to how old Isaac would have been. He's got to carry real wood, right? To eviscerate a person, you don't have little sticks. You got to have real wood. We know that Isaac's carrying that real wood. So for literally hundreds or thousands of years, even from the time of Josephus, argues this concept. And then all these modern scholars put him anywhere from as old as 25 to as young as 18 or so. So how old is he? I don't know. Probably a little older than 20, but regardless, a a man. So I look at this passage and I I question myself, well, what's Isaac thinking? Why is Isaac fighting back? He's just asking questions. I've got my son here. Preston, come on over here. Make sure that microphone's on. And uh, is it on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So here's the deal. Uh, I, I just stand right here. So this is my son Braxton, if, if you haven't met him. Um, here's the catch. Do y- you know what Braxton knows about today's sermon? What, what have I told you about what we're doing today? Nothing. Say it into the microphone. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, he has no idea what he's doing today. All he knows is I need him for the sermon illustration today, right? Because, think about it. Because Isaac didn't know what was going on. Right? His father's like, yo, we're going to go about 50 miles. It's going to take us about three days, taking a couple of uh, servants and a donkey. You ready? He's like, yeah, sure. But here's the thing. Braxton is actually a pretty good kid for the most part. Is your room clean? No. Say it into the light. No. No, you got you to talk into it. There you go. Is your room clean? No. Have you been told to clean your room in the last few days? No. No, he's right. No good. Had, had he been told to clean his room... It would be clean. All right. Uh, hands out. Touch your nose. Hop on one leg. Yeah, there you go. That's, that, that's hopping? Hop on one leg. There you go. Now, answer my question. Did you enjoy doing that? No. No? Why not? Tell them why. It was hard. It was hard? Did, was it embarrassing at all? Yes. Yeah? Are you wishing you hadn't volunteered for this? Yes. Yeah. But here's the thing. I want to, I want to, ask, I want to ask you a question. All right. Bear with me. Hypothetical situation, Braxton. This is a restaurant. 
and all these are the people eating in a restaurant, you and I come into a table, let's pretend there's a table right here, and there are two chairs. No, no, come over here, because I want you to do this right. Okay, so we come into the restaurant, go sit down at the chair you're going to eat at. That's interesting. He chose this chair, which would put me at this chair. Make sense? Braxton, stand up. Tell them why you chose that chair. Was it a 50-50 chance, or did you choose that for a reason? I chose it for a reason. Tell them why you chose that chair for a reason. So my dad can see everyone in the restaurant. Yeah, say that louder one more time so they can hear it. So ever, he can see everyone in the restaurant. Why does that matter? So if something bad happens, you can tell me. Interesting. Did you catch that? My 10-year-old son has been raised in such a way that when we go into a restaurant, have a seat, that when we go into a restaurant, I sit with my back to the wall. Every time we go in public, Braxton, tell them why that's important. Why is that important? So he can see everyone. Because why? Restaurant. So if something bad happens. Because if something bad happens, I want to be able to see it. A little love for Braxton. He's going to be back up in a few minutes. So my objective for my children is I want them to know that my first priority is to protect them in every aspect of life. Maybe it's sitting in a restaurant. Maybe it's walking down the sidewalk. When we're walking down the sidewalk, I position my wife, my children, uh, into such a way where I'm on the end. When we're in a public place, I, we, I watch what's going on. I take that very seriously, but more so, I want them to know that I take that very serious. And it's only logical in this passage of Scripture that the same would be true, especially in this period of history. Think about it. Firstborn son's a big deal. Uh, child infancy rate, ch children dying, that, that happens. There's all kinds of things in this climate that will get you. So Isaac totally understands this concept that my father wants to protect me. But even more, when we're talking about this, this relationship with God, think about it from Abraham and Isaac's point of view. Now, Scripture leaves a lot of things out. Uh, we, we, we get that. And so it doesn't tell every aspect of the story, but I think this is fair. I think you have to assume that Abraham has mentioned to Isaac the situation with Sodom. Wouldn't you think so? I think you could even go further. There's nothing that tells me that Isaac's ever met Lot, but isn't, isn't, doesn't that make sense that there's been conversations? Hey, this is your cousin Lot. He was there when the crazy Sodom thing happened, and they destroyed the city. Tell him about it. Yeah, listen, dude, you got to listen to God. I don't know if they were in their travels, and Abraham and Isaac are walking along, and they see this big, huge pillar of salt. And Abraham looks at Isaac and said, yo, listen to me. That's your cousin Edith. Do what God says. Doesn't that make sense? So we see this situation that's just nuts. But even Abraham's like, okay, God, let's see what we got to do. Here we go. Abraham knows to do what God said. So the third thing, as a result, we see God's provision. Look at chapter 22, verse 11. But, but then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on this boy, he said. Do not do anything to harm him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, 
your only son. Abraham looked up there in a thicket and saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place of the Lord, the Lord called this place, the Lord will provide. And to that day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. But even then we have difficulties, right? A third difficulty that makes perfectly good sense. Why didn't Abraham barter? Remember two weeks ago? We talked a lot about that, right? So Abraham is with God and two angels, and they're looking at Sodom, and Abraham doesn't want Sodom destroyed. So remember what he does? He starts a dialogue. He's like, hey, God, listen, if we can find 50 righteous people, and they go back, and then it's 40, and then it's 30, and it just keeps going down and down, right? And it gets to like 10. He argues, he debates, and he doesn't do that here for some reason. Again, maybe Maybe scripture doesn't mention it, but we just see obedience. Why do we see that? Why do we see clear obedience? I think Abraham knew. I think Abraham knew exactly what God was going to do. We look up in verse 5, we see a huge hint. Remember when Abraham says to the servants, remember he leaves the servants down at the bottom of the mountain and he takes Isaac with him and he says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham knew from the very beginning. He knew, he knew that he spoke to God. He had a conversation with God, literally. He knew that it was completely illogical that Sarah would ever have a baby, but she did. God provided. He knew the value of a righteous man. In that debate discussion with Abraham, he, he gleaned the information that God values the righteous. He saw fire come down from the sky and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm speculating that he was around that area and could smell the suffer, could see the desolation. He understood who God was and God was not going to take his one and only son. I think the same promise is true for us, but we forget it sometimes. Look at chapter 22, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of their cities, of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. God makes this promise to me and you too. Very quickly, three things that I think, three promises that we need to remember. The first one, are you ready? God loves you unconditionally. God loves you and me unconditionally. You know, we don't live in a world where people love unconditionally. That doesn't happen. We love to throw around as much hate. Or we see people throw around as much hate as possible. I'm kind of excited that Dennis is going to be doing starting a sermon series next week. Because everywhere you turn around is hate, hate, hate. It's just not politics. You can slam on whatever. A tall person, a short person, people with glasses, fat people. Whatever it is, we love to throw around hate as much as we can, right? But listen to what God said. Or listen to what Scripture teaches us. God loved the world so much that he gave his... And it is interesting the way this is worded, one and only son, so that whoever believes will not perish. 
You guys catch that? You see the connotation? It starts with that, that phrase, that concept, and then nails it down, literally, literally, in the New Testament. And that's true for us as well. Second thing, second promise. The risk that God is calling you to take is worth it. The risk that God is calling you to take is worth it. You know, sometimes we forget that, sometimes we question whether being here or or watching at home, home, is this worth it? Is dealing with this worth it? You know, uh, the truth is we can't accomplish anything without obedience. And we get kind of wrapped up in our masks. And I'm not talking about the political COVID-19 mask. But we Christians, don't we love to wear our masks? We take off our masks when we're at church, not COVID-19 masks, but our Christian masks. We take them off in church. Sometimes we take them off at Bible study. We take them off when we're with our family. We take them off when we're our Christian friends. But the truth is, a lot of us, when we go into the rest of the world, don't we put our mask on? Maybe we're a little afraid of what people may see. Maybe we're a little bit afraid of what people may hear. But the risk that God is calling you to take is worth it. The third thing, hope is always alive through your faith. Hope, hope's always alive through your faith. Faith is a hard thing, right? I was having a conversation with an old friend of mine the other day who's been to Jamaica with me a couple of times. There's this food we eat in Jamaica, it's called Aki. Do you have that little picture? It's probably kind of hard to tell what this looked like. Aki looks a lot like scrambled eggs, tastes a lot like dirt. Um, but in Jamaica, it's a big deal. Maybe I shouldn't have said that because it's like the Jamaican like, national dish. And again, it looks, looks kind of like scrambled eggs. But here, here's the thing with Aki. If you take an Aki, I don't know, fruit, plant, whatever it is, off an Aki tree, and you eat it, you will die. Truth. But they're like, hey, listen, we cook it in such a way that it's safe to eat. So they kind of told us that two or three times the first time I went to Jamaica. And it was like for breakfast there one morning. They're like, all right, we're having Aki. Now remember, that's the Jamaican national dish. And if they don't cook it right, you'll die. Enjoy. I ate like one tiny little bite just to, I could honestly say, I ate some Aki. That faith is hard. And, and, watching, and apparently people love it. Faith is kind of hard sometimes. And as a result, we get down. We've got a lot of down people right now. The world's kind of down. The world's kind of frustrated. In, in my world, I counsel a lot. I'm the world's worst counselor. I'm terrible at it. But I do it a lot. I actually enjoy sitting down with people and just talking about life. It's, it's maybe my favorite part of ministry. Just talking about things. I've never seen our students, not our, just our students, students. I've never seen teenagers in a more depressed state than they are right now. That, the, the bad news is, the good news is they're talking. They'll, they'll, they'll actually talk about it. That the, the faith is waning. We've got to take our mask off. We Christians, we've got to take our mask off and, and not be hiding behind it. In, in a place like this, wear your mask. I think that's important. But as Christians, we've got to understand that hope is always alive in your life through faith. Braxton, come on up here one more time. We talked a lot about... Um, how to end this sermon, and, and I was going to do this big dramatic thing that, that, that didn't make uh, a lot of sense to me, so, so we're not doing it, but the bottom line is God's looking at those things in your life that are in between you and him. And in a lot of situations, that, that's my son, that's my children. A lot of times, it's my children. 
Well, what about us? If God said to you, hey, listen, I need you to sacrifice, you fill in the blank, that would shatter you. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is your children. Maybe, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe, it's what, maybe, maybe that's happened. I, I, don't, I don't know. What is in between where you are and where God wants you to be? Remember where we started this? Spiritual growth, look at this, spiritual growth depends a lot on how we handle the tests and trials that come our way. Spiritual growth depends a lot on how we handle the tests and trials that come our way. Without prep, Braxton, will you close us in prayer? Our heads. Dear God, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for letting us to come together and just learn about you and learn about your word. And I hope everyone can go home and learn something new and maybe find a new hobby, maybe do something else. Um, amen.